So we look tonight at uh, astonishment at the teaching of Christ here in Mark chapter 1. I love, Mar I love all the Gospels. The way they introduce every single one of them is unique. Uh, very uh, amazing in each way. Astonishing is a great word to, to use right here. And so you open up with the, the Gospel of Matthew and the first word in Greek in the Gospel of Matthew is uh, biblos for the Bible. And so it says it is the Bible or the record of Jesus' genealogy. And you look at John in the beginning was the word. And I love Luke chapter 1 about the witnesses that Luke went to to put his gospel together. And then tonight we're going to look a little bit further into the gospel of Mark and how it begins. And it really helps you to see uh, and be in astonishment of the gospel of Mark. Let me say this about the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark is very unique. It is the shortest gospel. You got 16 chapters, and yet it still has unique material that is not in the other Gospels, and we need to read it. From the study of the Gospel of Mark in graduate school and reading about how, the, how Mark was put together, Mark sat down and he took the words of Peter and put them into a book and wrote the Gospel. And there is not anywhere in the Greek text where there's more than 150 words. Most of them the little sections throughout Mark are less than 120 words. And the belief is with most scholars that that is done so that so you could teach it and memorize it in a much easier fashion. So if you're ever thinking, I wish I could memorize a gospel, well, you have one that seems like it has been fit and made for that exact purpose, and that is the gospel of Mark. And so I hope that you'll think about that. Um, I don't know if you memorize a lot of scripture. That's a great thing if you do. We all need to be doing that. And if you... Memorize whole books. Well, now you have one. Even if you want to memorize a, uh, certain sections, again, I would encourage you to go to Mark for that very purpose. How would you begin a book? I always like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Uh, I know that's in John. Uh, Mark doesn't quite start that way, but he does say the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's very forward um, in writing this. He says, this is what it is. This is the very beginning of the gospel. I'm going to tell you what it's about. This is Jesus Christ. It's the good news. Here is his life. Here's the beginning of the ministry. Mark doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. Doesn't talk about his existence um, before the beginning of the creation of the world. Like you get in the gospel of John. He says this is the beginning of the good news. The good message of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. I'm going to tell you about the Son of God. And again, the Son of God is a phrase that's used in the Bible to talk about the Messiah, the King who is to come, starting from Psalm 2, the first prophecy of the Son of God. Mark does not hide his confidence here that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. That is the meaning of that phrase, the Son of God, as you find it throughout Scripture. He is the King. The, soul, his, uh, the government shall rest upon His shoulders. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. He is the one who receives the eternal kingdom. And Mark begins right there from the very beginning, emphasizing that. And as we look at the Gospel of Mark, is it good news? And so that's kind of what I'm putting as our problem and dilemma today. How do you treat the Gospels? How do you treat the Bible? And each Gospel, and some, I used to believe that, well, if I've read one Gospel, I've read all of them. I believed that long before I went to school to study it. But now that you go through it and you study it, the distinctions between the Gospel of Luke, for instance, Luke 9 through 19 and Luke chapter 5, nothing like in the other Gospels. Almost all of John is very much different. The way Matthew orders his text, and he emphasizes five different teachings 
All of them are different in their own way. And we need as Christians to recognize that, to be able to study and to draw those points out. And when we come to the Gospel of Mark, we need to be eager and say, I love this gospel. I love this text. I get to read and to study the life of Jesus Christ. And that's the way I feel as I, as I read it. Mark started his gospel from prophecy. He says, I'm going to tell you about the Son of God, and here's the scriptures that confirm it. So he goes to Isaiah, and he goes to Micah, and Micah makes a reference back to Isaiah 40 and verse 3. And it says right here, And it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare you the way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, I think a lot of us would already know, if you've, you've studied this before, you've seen, okay, I know who this is talking about. This is a prediction and a prophecy of the coming John the Baptist. And that's what we read when we get into Mark. But notice who he's preparing the way for. Prepare the way for the Lord. And Micah, you go there and you look at the text. He's preparing the way for God. Another affirmation of who the Son of God is. He's not just the Messiah. He is God come in the flesh always like studying. I love studying Christ and his identity, uh, the study of Christology, and that he is God in the flesh. It's a wonderful, amazing thing to think about. So John does prepare the way, and Mark tells us about it. It says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This passage is very important. As we look up here, see if I can use this laser. Uh, baptism of uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What is very interesting and important here is the phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. Does that sound familiar? Have you read that in other places? Probably think about Acts 2.38. That the baptism, after you repent and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, it is for the forgiveness of sins. It is the exact same phrase in Greek. And so someone might say, well, this baptism of repentance is because you've already been forgiven. It doesn't really make sense in the context. That's what many churches would teach on it. Some would go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and do the same thing. I'm going to show you in a scripture in a minute that helps us to resolve that very quickly. It uses again the same phrase in Greek. It says, And all the country of, of Judea were, was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And if you turn to the other Gospels, you see John preaching, repent. The axe is laid at the root. Change your life. That was his message. We cannot take repentance out of the Gospel. And here John is preparing the way, not only by baptizing with his baptism, but also for the forgiveness of sins and also um, for people to repent of their sins. Notice as all the people are going, and as we go to other Gospels, we realize the description of all here, generally he's talking about most of the people, all the people with the exception of many of the Pharisee leaders. Why preach baptism if John's baptism is not that important? The reason I bring this up is someone might say, oh, John's baptism is not that important, and then I might hear someone say, well, the baptism in Jesus' name that Jesus commanded when he rose from the dead, and the people will say it again today, oh, it's not that important. And again, this is what we see. For the forgiveness of sins, it's the same phrase. What stands out to me is this right here with the Lord's Supper. That the blood of Jesus was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus shed his blood because sins were already forgiven? No. 
It was to enter into the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word for four right here is the word ace, and it means into, literally. A four is good to represent it, but into or to enter into the state of which you are released of your transgressions. That is what we see in the blood of Christ when we contact the blood of Christ in the baptism that Jesus commanded. Here we see the same kind of forgiveness that was offered in John's baptism. And again, as it is true today, many people reject that baptism. And they rejected John's as well as many people reject Jesus' baptism now. We continue to see here, John's preparing the way. How does he do it? Let's listen right here. Mark 1, 6-8. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that sense of humility before Christ? I am not worthy. I hope that we do. I'd be very troubled of any Christian who felt otherwise. But I love that description here of John and in his example. You see who, what kind of man he is. We look at other places in the scriptures, we see this. When Philip preached Jesus, and so one thing that stands out to me in John's preaching is that it says that he preached baptism. There is no shame in us as Christians preaching baptism. John did it. The apostles did it. And when we get a description of what it means to preach Jesus the way that Philip did it to the Ethiopian eunuch, you remember that? It says he preached Jesus, Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. The Ethiopian eunuch says, what hinders me from being baptized? Look here. What prevents me from being baptized? Baptized, verse 36. There's no other connection in there. It was the preaching of Jesus that had to and necessitated the preaching of baptism. We continue to see the importance of it. We see Jesus' baptism here to fulfill all righteousness. And this is what we read. Again, John preparing the way. Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. I like to get those accounts. And as I think about Mark recording and hearing this from Peter, that would be an amazing thing. To talk to someone who said, yes, I heard the voice of God speak from heaven. Declaring, this is my side. Now, part of our study this evening also comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. So we see Jesus, the way is prepared. He's been baptized. He's tempted. And yet he goes on from there preaching the gospel. He says the time is fulfilled. That's what Christ came to do, to fulfill the way. We see this. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. And after Christ dies, we see the kingdom has come. And number three... The preaching here is repent and believe. And I think this is a passage for us to be aware of as Christians. We've been talking about baptism. Some people will say, what you need to do, the first thing that needs to happen is that the Holy Spirit needs to act on you. And then once the Holy Spirit causes you to repent, then you'll be able to believe. You ever heard that before? That's the common teaching of Calvinism. And here you have in a passage, and this is not the only one. There's passages in Acts as well that put repentance before belief. 
And there may be times and occasions when that is certainly necessary. With the Jews, what did they need to do to be able to believe in Jesus Christ? They already believed in God. The problem is, is that their sins did hinder them from believing. And there are occasions for that. But what we see throughout the Scriptures, especially in Acts chapter 2, is that repentance followed faith. And then after repentance, baptism. One of my favorite scriptures is right here when Jesus goes out to call his disciples. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Look at this. Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. It describes Jesus here. It says, As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into, in the sea. And they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. I love this passage for a number of reasons. When we start thinking about what the church needs to do as far as evangelism, sharing the gospel, developing disciples, you have an example here. Here's Jesus on the scene calling Peter and Andrew, Simon and Andrew right here. And you have what he promises them. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think I brought this out before and I'll bring it up in a minute. But it is a good pattern of how we make disciples. The Bible tells us that is our mission as the church is to make disciples. And I think sometimes we stop. We stop at baptism or we stop with just evangelism. Or I've put it out there. I've put it on the internet. I've posted something on Facebook. i put it on social media. i put up a scripture. I, I told someone the gospel one time. I didn't want to bring it up again. I think that it kind of stops. Or even when we finally find someone who's eager to obey the gospel, maybe their whole family obeys the gospel, what do we do next? And there's a pattern right here in verse 17. I'll come back to that in a minute. And we'll continue reading. It says, Immediately they left their nets, notice that, and followed him. They knew who he was, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now, a lot of times, uh, these men, these fishermen are described as poor. But Zebedee here apparently has hired servants. I think that's interesting. Zebedee also appears to have entrance into the court at a little bit more money. He has an, a successful industry as far as fishing. In fact, fish from the Sea of Galilee have been found all over the world. I don't think we should think of this as just a small fishing business. There's a little bit more to it than what these men were working on and involved in. This is, here's the pattern again, coming back to the disciples. Number one, follow Christ. We get those who become Christians, they follow. That's the idea of being a disciple, a student of, of Jesus. Number two, you have a promise that comes with it. You follow me, I will make you and remake you. You will be transformed. That's true. As Christians, we know that. And when we are done being transformed, what are we going to be doing? We're going to become fishers of men, catchers of people, persuading others, convincing them to follow after Jesus Christ. And I believe this is a wonderful pattern. As we start looking at that, why, where might you put yourself? I think a lot of us, if, unless we've just been baptized, we'll probably, or, or considering being baptized, we probably put ourselves at number two. Christ's still working on me. And that's why we're here tonight, to study the Word, study what we write, read right here in Mark. And I hope throughout the study we'll be able to develop more and become more of fishers of men. 
And to finish our study tonight, this is where I want to bring our attention. So if you have your Bible, we're going to take a look at this a little bit closer. Mark 1, 21 to 28. Jesus goes about teaching. His fame spreads throughout the, wor- the world, throughout Judea. He goes to the synagogues. He goes in a circuit proclaiming the truth. He goes healing people as we read throughout the Gospels. And his name is spread around and around. Even the surrounding nations come to hear about Jesus of Nazareth and what he's doing. Read with me in Mark chapter 1, 21 to 28. It says this, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And listen, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now this whole section, this text right here, is to emphasize the point that Jesus taught with authority. People were surprised, amazed, astonished at the way that he spoke. Look at verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now the confession and the words that came out of that unclean spirit's mouth doesn't save him. Does he believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Holy One of God, the Son of God? Does that confession alone save him? There's no saving a demon. He's wicked. He's evil. There's no gospel for him to obey. He is in rejection, even though he knows who Jesus is and knows the power that Christ has. Keep reading with me. Verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. One thing that the writer does here, right here, that Mark does very clearly, is he connects the authority. Here Jesus is teaching with authority. We see the demons fear him and know who he is and confess who he is. Jesus commanded the unclean spirit, rebuking and casting him out. And the connection there is very clear. The authority that Jesus preached with had the same power to cast out the spirit. And so everything that Jesus was teaching had so much more power behind it because they recognized this was no common man. That God was with him. And we see this, Jesus speaking, it equated with God's power. And if I were there, and if I were hearing this teaching, I was hearing Christ preaching, and here he is rebuking and casting out demons, I'm going to want to follow him anywhere. I want to hear what he has to say. And then we see because of this, as it should have happened, Jesus' fame spread throughout all the area because of his command of speaking. I think that's amazing. I wonder about today, the gospel that we preach has the same power, does it not? It's the power of God and the salvation. It's powerful. It doesn't belong in our Bibles gathering dust. We need to be putting it in our heart, taking it with us. The, the power there in the gospel. And when someone is baptized, that God gives them his Holy Spirit. There's no evil spirit within anybody from that point. They are cleansed. They are washed. They are made holy, 1 Corinthians 6 and Verse 11 tells us that 
That is the work of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized, when we are washed in Jesus' name. I don't think we should shame away at all from preaching the gospel. We need to have boldness to declare it. The same words that Christ spoke, we have them and we can speak them again. They're powerful enough to cast out demons. The word of God is powerful enough to create the universe. And here we have it, and yet how do we treat it? How do we treat the Bible? How do we treat the gospel? I read this, I'm astonished, I'm amazed. And I want to continue to read and to proclaim the truth. I want to know the word even better. I will not stop at that. I find also fascinating here the unclean spirit again who's confessing Jesus. He says who he is. Yes, he's a man, Jesus of Nazareth. He says he's able to destroy, to cast out unclean spirits. As we see in Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus is able to do that, to cast them into hellfire. See, the Holy One of God is a description from Isaiah. And it is the only, it's a major description throughout the book of Isaiah for this reason. In that book in Isaiah, whenever you spoke about the Holy One of God, almost every single time it was talking about God. And yet you would also have passages like in Isaiah 48 and verse 16, where God says that God, the Lord, and His Spirit have sent me for a purpose. You have Christ speaking through the Scripture. Here He is, the Holy One of God. And then you have a demon right here confessing these things. And I think a lot of people today will say, well, as long as I confess who Jesus is, and I say that I believe that I'm going to be fine. There's more to it. As we talked about this, this morning, it involves love. As we look at tonight, it involves baptism. Those are things we cannot do away with. It involves repentance, a change in our life. So the point this evening is to be amazed. And I think that's what, exactly what Mark is trying to bring out in Mark chapter 1. Look at this man. He is amazing. He is, he's astounding what he does with such authority. It should grab us so that when we hear Jesus say, follow me, and you will become fishers of men, we want to be those men. We want to be those who are leaving the nets behind who are following him. That's the way I feel when I read the text. I hope it grabs you the same way. We read this in Mark chapter 1, 32 to 34. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Good reflection of what we've read this evening. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ from Mark. And I hope that we'll continue to gather and study these things to dig deeper into Mark. And I hope that you will read ahead and look into that. Mark concludes with the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he tells his disciples, you go and make disciples. You go and spread the gospel. And he tells them how to be saved. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Tonight, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, as we've talked about, the confession of faith, repentance, baptism, living a faithful life, I hope that you'll do that. If you need to repent or make things right publicly or you just need prayers, we want to encourage you this evening to come while we stand and while we sing.